I wanted to ask, uh, who here has ever heard of Nehemiah in the Bible, or you've heard a sermon on Nehemiah? It was like four or five hands that went up. <laughs> Great. So you guys are going to learn about Nehemiah today. Um, so for those of you that don't know, uh, Nehemiah is actually a book written in the Bible. It's called Nehemiah. And uh, it's written firsthand account. So it's written by Nehemiah. And he was somebody who was actually a cupbearer for the king in a foreign land. And he was actually stationed in a city called Susa. Now, at this point in time, the people of Israel had been a little bit disobedient to, well, actually a lot disobedient to the Lord. And so they had gotten like warning after warning after warning where God is like, you guys have to actually listen or I'm going to have to discipline you. But of course, the people of Israel were people. And so they just ignored all of the warnings and just decided to continue on in their sin. And it came to a point where God, being a good father, right, because every good parent knows that they have to discipline their kid at some point, um, decides to discipline Israel. And so he actually allows them to be taken into captivity. And he actually allows them to go into exile. And so Here's Nehemiah. He's serving in a foreign kingdom as a cupbearer to the king. And he hears everything that had gone on in Jerusalem. And as he's serving in this kingdom, he ends up uh, meeting up with some people that he knows. And he's so concerned. So he, he sees them and he's like, guys, like, do you know what's happened? Like, how, how, how are the people in Jerusalem? Like, who escaped? Who, who survived the exile? What's the state of the city? And so these people, they, they tell Nehemiah the truth. They're like, dude, like, it's not good. The people are ashamed. The people are in trouble. And actually, the walls of the city are now in ruins. And the gates are actually destroyed by fire. And Nehemiah hears this. And he's grieved. It actually states in Scripture that he was so heartbroken and grieved over this news. That he actually wept and mourned and fasted for days because of what had happened. Now, I want to just pause there for a second. Because sometimes when God actually calls us to do something, when he calls us to build and to step forward into the things that he's called us to do, I think sometimes we think that God needs to speak in some miraculous big way, right? Like thunder and lightning and but the truth is, is more often than not, in my own experience, and I've seen it time and time again, is God actually speaks through the still, small voice, doesn't he? And I also find that not only does he speak in the still, small voice, but he also can sometimes speak or call us to step into something by the things that he puts on our hearts. For Nehemiah, it was grief. See, Nehemiah was actually so disturbed and so distraught over everything that was happening in Jerusalem that he, he couldn't stop weeping about it. He couldn't stop thinking about it, about what was happening to the people, about how the city was actually in ruins. God put it on his heart so strongly that he couldn't ignore it. Something had to be done. Now, please hear me out, church. I'm not saying that we should just act on our feelings or our emotions, okay? 
we should always pray about the things that we feel God is calling us to do, right? Like you think about Nehemiah. He didn't hear the news and then just go rushing off to Jerusalem to go and, and rebuild or do anything. No, no, no. Like he spent time praying about it. He wept and he fasted and he prayed and he prayed some more and then he prayed some more until the Lord provided an opportunity for him to be able to act on that which he was feeling called to do. Which, truthfully, I think that's actually just good wisdom, right? We don't make decisions based off of uh, our feelings or our emotions, but we pray about it and we listen to the leading of the Holy Spirit because the truth is, and in my experience, we don't ever actually want to walk into things that the Holy Spirit is not leading us or calling us into because more often than not, I find that's when we get ourselves into trouble, right? That's when we end up in dangerous situations. However, sometimes the things that God calls us to and calls us into are the things that he also strongly impresses on our heart. So church, can I just encourage you? If there's something on your heart that's really like bothering you or really bugging you, you know, maybe it's, um, you know, seeing people that are being trafficked, right? Because that's a big thing in Alberta, men and women being trafficked. Or, or maybe it's seeing everything that's happening in places like Turkey and Syria with the earthquakes or seeing things that are happening like with Ukraine in the war. Or maybe even it's something as simple as, um, you know, seeing people in need in your own community, people that struggle with uh, clothing or food. But if you have something on your heart that is actually really bothering you or stirring in you, it could actually be that God is calling you to do something or to step into something to build for kingdom purpose. Now, I've mentioned it before in previous sermons, but we're all called to build, right? Whether we like it or not, in this life, we don't have the option not to build. We can choose to build our lives on Christ, right? Or we can choose not to. But we can also choose to build for kingdom purpose. And we can choose to build using the things, the tools that God has put in our hands. Things like our, our passion, things like our talents, things like our giftings, our time. And we can use these tools, we can use these things that the Lord has given us to have an impact for the kingdom, to build for kingdom purpose, or we can just choose not to, right? We can choose to ignore the things that God is calling us to do. We can choose to not use our giftings and our time and our talents for the things that the Lord is calling us to. But church, we're called to build. Nehemiah was called to build. So back to Nehemiah, he has all of this grief stirring in him. And so he prays and he prays and he prays and he waits on the Lord for an opportunity to do something about what he's feeling in his heart and finally the opportunity comes. See, Nehemiah is working at his job. He doesn't quit. But he continues to work, and as he's working, he's in the presence of the king. And one day, he's so distraught that the king actually notices. Now, we hear this nowadays, 
And we're like, oh, the king noticed Nehemiah was sad, like big deal. No, no, no. Guys, at this point in time, it was a very big deal. Because in this kingdom and the way that the law has actually worked, Nehemiah could have actually lost his life as a result of this. See, if you were sad in the presence of the king, especially when he was happy, you were like the killjoy. And so as a result, the king could choose to kill you. But the grief was so strong that Nehemiah actually couldn't help it. He couldn't hide it. So the king notices, and so the king asks him, like, Nehemiah, why are you sad? Nehemiah 2, verse 3 This is Nehemiah speaking. He says, I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and the gates have been destroyed by fire? So then after this, if you keep reading, the king ends up asking like, well, what are you asking me? And then Nehemiah prays really quickly and then decides to shoot a shot, right? And I love this passage, this portion if you keep reading ahead because sometimes we think like if we're called to do something we spend like hours and hours and hours praying about it and like you should like pray about it till you get an answer but in this moment um if you read ahead nehemiah is basically like i prayed and then i answered right because you don't have time to pray like an hour-long prayer when the king is standing literally right there waiting for your answer so Personally, I like to think that it was just a two-second prayer somewhere along the lines of like, oh, dear God, please help me. And then he just went on, right? So then he goes, he shoots his shot. He asks the king, can I go and rebuild the wall? This is what happened. And of course, the Lord is with Nehemiah because the Lord is calling Nehemiah to build. So the king says, yeah, like you can go. But he doesn't just say, like, yeah, you can go. He gives him some letters so that he has safe travel. And he even provides the building materials for Nehemiah. So Nehemiah goes, and he examines the ruins. He surveys the wall. He gathers together the people that are left in the city. And they begin to build. Now, as they're building, everything is going really well, actually. Um, They're making progress. They're seeing things built. The people are unified. But then the enemy came. Which brings me to my first point. We may have opposition as we build. Nehemiah 4, verse 2 to 3. says, now when Sanballat, Sanballat was the enemy, heard that that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. And he said in the presence of his brothers and the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burned ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, and he said, yes, what they are building, if a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall." Now, church, I don't know about you, but maybe you've experienced this, right? Maybe, uh, you know, we're a bit nervous and we're a bit afraid because we feel like the Lord is actually calling us to do something, calling us to step out into something. And then, you know, we're trying to be obedient to the Lord and we're trying to listen. So even though we're afraid, we begin to step out and, and move forward in the things that God is calling us to. 
And as we begin to do that, we see the hand of the Lord. We see his favor on us and, and things start going well, right? Like we think, oh yeah, maybe I, was, maybe I was called to start this business. Maybe I was meant to go into this profession. Maybe I was meant to start this thing. Like things are going amazing. Everything is falling into place. But then all of a sudden, the enemy comes. And the enemy doesn't come just to come and see and, and watch what we're doing. No, no, no. The enemy comes to intimidate, to sow fear, to sow discouragement, to sow doubt. We start to hear things like, that'll never work. Did God actually call you? That will fail. Why would you even try? Church, can I just remind you this morning? Just because the enemy says it, or just because he says it loudly, still doesn't make it true. The opposite, actually. Because scripture says that any other spirit other than the Holy Spirit is a lying spirit because the only spirit of truth is the Holy Spirit. Church, we need to be careful of the voices that we listen to, of the influences that we allow into our lives. And we need to hold on to the truth and the leading of the Holy Spirit. Now, please know, Scripture is clear. We wrestle with flesh and blood, not people. People are not the enemy. Okay, so don't attack people. But sometimes the enemy can use people to contradict what the Lord has spoken or even to send confusion. And that's where it's important as believers, as people who claim to follow Jesus, to walk in the truth of his word, and to walk in the discernment that's given by the Holy Spirit in order to know when it actually is the Lord speaking and when it's not, right? That's why as Christians, things like prayer and knowing, knowing the word of God, knowing what's written in our Bibles, Reading scripture is important. That's our gauge. John 10.10 10 says that the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. See, church, if the enemy can convince us to stop the work that God has called us to do, if the enemy can convince us to believe his lies, then he can actually prevent us from walking in the calling and I would go so far even to say as sometimes even prevent us from walking in the authority that he's called us to and given us to as part of our inheritance as sons and daughters of the living God because we end up actually no longer believing that we're capable, no longer believing that we're able, no longer believing that God has called us or is with us or that he's equipped us or is equipping us for the things that he's called us to do. Church, we're called to build. Now, I'm a little sad to say that I've also experienced this in my life. I've shared it before, so maybe some of you have heard, but um, for me, I always knew I was called to worship ministry and to be a worship pastor probably since about grade eight, and God spoke very clearly to me in that, so I never questioned that I was called to ministry, though the enemy did try over the years, but over time, I had allowed myself to listen to certain voices, and not only did I listen, but I actually started to believe some of the lies of the enemy. And one lie in particular, the lie that I wasn't good enough. Now, church, how many know when you hear something long enough, 
sometimes eventually you actually start to believe it. And that's what happened to me. See, because I had heard this lie for so many years, and I had started to believe it at actually quite a young age, it had actually penetrated so deeply into my heart and into my life that it actually started to affect everything that I did. Sadly, it took until Bible college, probably like my first year, um, before the Lord was uh, able to dismantle this lie from my life and heal me of it. But just so you guys know, like this is how badly it affected me. I remember um, at that time, so we would be part of teams and uh, we would play and sing on worship teams. We would travel around and um, I remember one night at school, we would do chapels, but every once in a while we would have events and I got asked to play piano for a prayer night. So I was like, okay, I can do that. Um, but the way that it all kind of happened, um, the guy that was kind of leading it, it was myself and maybe one or two other people, um, but they were more familiar with the songs, and uh, there was quite a large song list, so it was like 40 or 50 songs, which I got like the day of, and I was like, I need a band practice, like, can we run through the songs, all of this stuff, and it just didn't like really happen. Um, so I was already kind of like on edge going into this prayer night. And we were on stage the whole time for like a few hours. It wasn't just like like half an hour or an hour. It was like quite a, a period of time. And so we go to this, we, we do this event. And um, foreseeably, because we didn't have a band practice and I got the songs the day of, um, and I wasn't familiar with all of them, um, I made a lot of mistakes. And with each mistake, because I had believed this lie that I wasn't good enough, it was like, it was like progressively getting worse and worse and worse. To the point that by the end of the night, I just didn't even want to play anymore. And I, I broke down crying. I was so mortified and so ashamed that I had actually played so badly in front of so many people. And I just remember my friends coming up afterwards and they, they were like, no, no, Marissa, like you did good. Like it was good. Don't worry about it. And I was just like, no, like that was, that was awful. And I was like, I never want to play in front of people ever again. And so there was a season actually where whenever I led worship in um, chapels or whenever we were traveling with people, I just refused to play piano because I was like, I'm not, I'm not good enough. And I just never, never did. So I would try to find other people to play. If I got asked to play, I would avoid it or recommend other people, um, which again, it's probably a little shocking to some of you to hear this because you see me almost every week playing <laughs> piano and singing. And like I said, like the Lord broke that off of me and he healed me. But it was because I had believed the lie of the enemy. And I believe that by actually believing this lie, it prevented me from being able to fully walk in my calling. To fully walk in the things that God was calling me to do from, from fully building and to some extent from uh, fulfilling kingdom purpose in that season. And that's not to say that, like, God didn't use me or couldn't use me in that season. No, 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 he still did. Like, we saw God move in incredible, incredible ways. But church, I wonder how many opportunities that the Lord actually put in front of me and wanted me to step into, and I didn't, because I listened and believed the lies of the enemy. See, I didn't build 
in the way that I was called to in that season. Again, because I listened to the, and believed the lies of the enemy. Church, we're called to build. Which comes to my second point. The enemy may be persistent. The enemy may be persistent. Nehemiah 4, verse 6 to 9 says, So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height, for the people worked with all their heart. But when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the people of Ashdod heard that the repairs to Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. See, church, the enemy was actually angry that the people of God were making progress, that they were moving forward with the things that they were called to do and called to build. And as a result of this anger, the enemy actually tries several times to intimidate and to discourage the people of God in an effort to stop them from building the wall. Nehemiah 4 verse 11 is just like a couple verses down. We see the enemy trying again. It says, and our enemies said they will not see or know till we come amongst them and kill them and stop the work. But see, in this passage, God in his sovereignty and in his goodness actually reveals to Nehemiah what the enemy is planning and what the enemy is wanting to do. So Nehemiah, in his wisdom and in the wisdom of the Lord, actually sets people as a guard as they continue to work. But see, then that doesn't work. So the enemy decides to change tactics, right? They tried to kill off and confuse the people building the wall. That doesn't work. So then they actually try to take out Nehemiah, who, as we remember, is actually called by God to coordinate and lead the building of the wall. So we get to Nehemiah 6, and it wasn't just like once or twice that the enemy tried. No, no, no. It actually says in scripture that five different times, five, the enemy tried to convince Nehemiah to come off the wall, to stop building so that they could actually take him out and prevent him from fulfilling the things that he was called to do, his kingdom purpose. Then, five different times, so that doesn't work. So they decide, okay, we're going to try something else. So then what they do is they actually go and they hire somebody to go to Nehemiah to try and convince him to run away and hide because of the threat of the enemy wanting to kill him. But again, the Lord in his goodness gives Nehemiah the discernment and the sight and the wisdom to know that that man who came to him was actually hired by the enemy and it wasn't from the Lord. Can somebody say persistent? See, the enemy is persistent, and yet during all of this, I love Nehemiah's response because he just says, why should I stop the things that God has called me to? I'm not coming off this wall. I'm going to continue to do the work and do the things and build the things that Christ has called me to. Church, the enemy is persistent. See, when we begin to build... When we begin to walk up the things that God has called us to do and we begin to see growth and we begin to see fruit and we begin to see the hand of the Lord move because he's with us, because he's called us, 
and we're walking in obedience to him. Church, that is not the time to shrink back. That is not the time to come off of the wall that Christ has placed you on, that he's called you to. That is not the time to give up. That is not the time to say, well, life is good and I got this far, so maybe I'll just take a break. That's not the time to allow ourselves to be distracted and intimidated by the taunts, by the rumors, by the lies of the enemy. Church, that's the time to continue to stand. That's the time to continue to fight. That's the time to continue to labor and continue to build the things that Christ has called you to build. And not just to build, but build with the things that he's placed in your hands. Like Nehemiah who set a guard over his people day and night as they worked. Church, we also need to be spiritually aware and alert of the threats and the spiritual reality around us. As we move forward in the call and build the things that Christ has called us to build, or the reality is we'll never see those things fulfilled. Now you might say, okay, pastor, that's cool, but that's just one story in the Bible with like one example. I got you. Jesus actually dealt with this as well. Matthew 4, verse 1 to 11 says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all their splendor. All this I will give to you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan. For it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him. The angels came and attended him. See, church, in this story, not once, but three times, the enemy came to distract and try to cause Jesus to stop building, to try and stop Jesus from doing the things that he was called to do to stop him from moving forward in the kingdom purpose. Church, the enemy is persistent. We need to be spiritually alert, aware, and on guard. We cannot afford to be spiritually sleepy when Christ has called us to build. We need to continue to stand firm on the truth of the word of the Lord, to stand firm on his promises to keep our eyes on Jesus and not allow ourselves to be intimidated by the lies and words of the enemy. We are called to build. James 4 verse 7 says, Submit yourself then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. See, church, the good news is no matter how persistent the enemy is, as long as we continue to resist, he will flee. See, Christ has given us the authority as believers. And we have the authority and ability because of that to resist 
and to watch the enemy run as we continue to build and move forward with kingdom purpose. 1 Peter 5, verse 8 says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Church, as I mentioned, we need to continue to be alert and aware, especially in moments where we're dealing with the persistence of the enemy. We're called to build. Lastly, when we step forward into the things that God calls us to, I believe that generations can be changed and impacted when we build. Generations can be changed and impacted when we build. See, as we continue to read through the book of Nehemiah, in chapter 7, we actually see the impact of what they built changed generations. In chapter 7, it actually says that after they rebuilt the ruins of the walls, that thousands of exiles came back. Men, women, children. See, because they were obedient to build the things that they were called to build, they impacted not just their own individual families, but thousands of others. But it took work, right? Like it took work to be there and to, to be building the trenches and clearing the rubble, and it took work to, to organize all the people, and it took work physically to be, you know, putting the stones up. It wasn't easy, but they continued to move forward with that which they were called to do. Nehemiah 4, verse 13 to 14 says, Therefore I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome, and fight for your families, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. See, Nehemiah actually stationed the people to work to restore the breaches in the wall by their families. Now, I love this because I think it's such a beautiful picture of how, you know, as families, we're called to stand in the gaps and fight for one another. However, the people that were working on the wall weren't just concerned with their own family. They weren't just concerned with their own little section of the wall that they were fixing. No. They saw the bigger picture. They were concerned actually about everybody who was called to work on that wall. And church, in our lives as believers, I, I wonder sometimes if we forget that, yeah, we're called to our own families, but we're also called to care for those around us. To, to actually get into the messy trenches of life with people. To, to help others build. To help others war. To help others fight for their, their friends and their families in kingdom purpose. And the flip of that, we're also called to let people into our trenches. Nehemiah 4, 16 to 21 says, from that day on, half of my men did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. The officers posted themselves behind all the people of Judah who were building the wall. 
Those who carried materials did their works did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other, and each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked. But the men who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. Then I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, the work is extensive and spread out, and we are widely separated from each other along the wall. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there. Our God will fight for us. So we continued the work with half of the men holding spears from the first light of dawn till the stars came out. At that time, I also said to the people, have every man and his helper stay inside Jerusalem at night so they can serve as guards by night and workers by day. Neither I nor my brothers nor my men nor the guards with me took off our clothes. Each had his weapon even when he went for water. See, church, in this passage, they were building, yes, but they were alert. They were stationed by family and building that which God had called them to. But at any given moment, they were both ready and willing to run and fight if someone else was being attacked. In the same way, church, are we willing to fight? Are we willing to pray and war for those around us? Or are we so disengaged and concerned only with our own affairs, with our own building, that we're unwilling to help those around us. See, as I said, those who were called to be a part of building the wall weren't concerned with just their section or just their family. They cared for everyone who was called to be a part of the building. And by doing so, they didn't actually just impact the generations in their family, but they also impacted the other generations who were part of rebuilding that wall. Now, in addition to this, they didn't just impact the generations that were part of the building, but they impacted the generations that were part of the exiles that came back once the wall was rebuilt. And in addition to that, they impacted the thousands of generations that came after who lived in the city that was rebuilt. In the same way as those who were on the wall. Church, are we willing to fight? Not just for our family, but for our friends, for our fellow believers, and for our community. We are called to build, yes. But we're also called to love people with the love of Christ. We aren't meant to do life alone. We're called to build. We're called to encourage. We're called to pray and to fight alongside of our brothers and sisters in Christ. Church, when we choose to walk in obedience to that which Christ has called us to, called us to build, when we're willing to stand in the gap, to fight and to pray for those around us, then the reality is, is we might not actually know our impact in that moment, right? But church, I believe that generations can be touched and impacted for kingdom and for kingdom purpose. Isaiah 58, one of my favorite passages, um, it actually talks about relieving oppression, standing in the gap as we build and fighting for those around us. And Isaiah 58 verse 12 actually says the result of that. It says, your ancient ruins will be rebuilt, 
You shall raise up foundation, the foundation of many generations, and you shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. Church, generations can be impacted and changed when we build. We're called to build. So I wanted to ask, what are you called to build? Like Nehemiah, what is that thing that God is putting on your heart? Or stirring in you. And maybe, you know, maybe you're like Nehemiah that's on the wall. Maybe Christ has already called you to build and called you to move forward in something. And so you've been doing that, but now the enemy is starting to come and is kind of nattering and trying to pull you off of that wall. Maybe you need strength to stay. So we're going to pray for that. But before we do, see, the reality is, as I mentioned in this life, we, we can choose where we build, right? Like we can choose to have our foundation as Jesus or not. And we can choose what we build with. But the reality is, is that we can't actually build effectively or well without the master builder, without the one who actually holds all the blueprints and the keys that are needed for our life. And yeah, like you can try, you can make up your own plans and you can try to step into things, but Again, it's hard to build effectively when we don't have Jesus. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. See, the reality is, is that it doesn't actually matter how good you are because we've all sinned. We've all fallen short. And the truth is that sin can't actually stand in the presence of a holy and living God. And so because of this, Jesus, in his great love and mercy, is sent to die on a cross for us so that we can actually come back into relationship and stand in the presence of the living God. John 10.10, Jesus actually says, I've come that they may have life and life more abundantly. See, Jesus died for you and I, not just so that we can say, oh, I went to heaven, but, or I'm going to heaven, but he actually came for us to live a life of abundance, a life of purpose, a life of joy, a life of fulfillment. Because, see, the things of this world don't actually fulfill you. Yeah, sin, sin can be fun for a season, and it might fill you for a moment, but it'll leave you more broken and more empty at the end. Jesus comes to bring life. So if you want that, if you want to live a life of joy, a life of abundance, I can't promise you that all of a sudden all your problems will go away and everything will be easy. No, no, no. In some ways, sometimes it gets harder because now you're a target of the enemy. But you have the living God literally fighting on your behalf. So if you want that, I'd like us all to pray. So Jesus, I thank you for dying for me. I thank you for your love. I ask you now to forgive me of all my sins, all my mistakes. Make me new. Use my life and give me purpose. In Jesus' name, amen. And now we're just going to pray. Um, as I was saying, um, church, we're all called to build. And so maybe, maybe you're like, I don't know what I'm called to build. Um, I don't know what God has called me to. I want to pray over you that God would reveal that. But then also, if you're like Nehemiah, that maybe God has already called you to something. And you just need strength to stay on that wall. I want to pray for you as well. So, Lord, I just thank you today. I thank you that you are 
a God who never leaves or forsakes us. And so, Lord, we just pray right now, if there's anybody who you've called to build, but, Lord, they're, they're maybe not sure if it was you or if, if you're calling them. Holy Spirit, I just pray right now that you would just reveal to them in Jesus' name the things that they're called to build. And, and God, maybe you've called people to build, but they're like, I don't know what the tools that I have are. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would just reveal it to them. Lord, that they wouldn't um, play that, that, that game of comparison, but Lord, that they would be satisfied and find joy in the things that you've placed in their hands. Lord, even if it's something as simple as somebody who likes to cook, that's something the Lord has given you. That's a tool doing art, playing sports. Those are tools. So, Lord, I pray that you would just uh, show people how to use those as well. And, Lord, we just pray as well for um, the people uh, who you've already called to who are in the midst of building. And, Lord, maybe they're just feeling uh, weary or tired. Lord, I just pray that you would strengthen them, that Holy Spirit, when the enemy comes and tries to distract or when the enemy comes and tries to pull them off of that wall, Holy Spirit, that they would have a spirit like Nehemiah and they would say, no, I'm not coming off this wall. No, I'm not going to listen to the taunts of the enemy. I know what the Lord has called me to. And so, Lord, we just pray that you would remind your people of the things that you've spoken, the things that you've said, and Holy Spirit, that you would, um, yeah, just, just give them a spirit of Nehemiah, Lord, where they would just stand firm on the walls on the things that you've called them to build. Lord, that they would build with confidence and boldness, not because of themselves, but because of you and because you're leading them. Lord, that we would be a people who walk in obedience to you, obedience to the things that you're calling us and uh, to. And as we do that, Lord, that we would see your hand in greater ways. Lord, I pray even just greater victories over your people, over businesses, over finance, over relationships, because Lord, you're leading us. We don't walk alone. So Jesus, we thank you.